Welcome to MMO, the Mike Mike and Oscar show. They cover films then, win the gold, but now we're talking picks up films for all of these shows. From Toy Story 1 up through Toy Story 4, this is the MMO, the Pixar Rewatch Show. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, another Pixar Rewatch entry into our Pixar Rewatch series. We go from fish to toys to now we're talking about little rat men. Rat men, yes. <laughs> because they walk on their hind legs. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host, also Mike. There's a pale horse coming. <laughs> I'm gonna ride it. It's, I owed you that. It's all right. You. It's not exactly It's spring- exactly <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. It's like, it's a guy trying to do a Springsteen impersonation. It's, it's damn close. <laughs> all I did was give myself... 15 seconds. You heard me. I, play, I replayed the thing. You did. Like you sound times. like a guy that gave yourself 15 seconds to do a Springsteen impersonation. But it's it's really spot on, and I think I'm great. Not <laughs> at all. Uh, if you don't know what we're referencing, that was a wide ranging, episode long theme of our last episode, our, our best original song from 1995 96 Academy Awards. Also, Mike is convinced that one of the nominees there, the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen, has an easily replicable, repl- repl- repeatable, replicable, whatever voice. You could, everyone can do it is what you're saying what i thought and i guess i was proven wrong i'll listen to this later i'll be like wow i mean you're not ass. offended you know it's not offensively wrong okay right. you just don't sound like bruce Springsteen. i don't <laughs> i tried to stay with the melody for the one line my one line but mike uh, this is the eighth pixar film ratatouille and they can just do no wrong Literally. with the american public with the box office at this point yeah can you imagine the writer's room on this one yeah, we're going to do... Uh, the writer's room was a mess on this one. We're going to do say. Cyrano de Bergerac, but instead of love, it's about food. <laughs> and instead of a large schnoz, he's a rat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he walks on his hind legs. Uh, that's what we're covering today. Ratatouille is the single-serving entry into our Pixar rewatch series. Mike told you it's already the eighth film that came out from Pixar way back in 2006. If you've not joined us before for a Pixar rewatch series episode, what they are, they're much like our Oscar Sprint Profile episodes. There's two halves to every episode, a non-spoiler half, a spoiler warning, and then the spoiler-filled half. So if you've not seen the movie, if you don't want it spoiled for you, if you don't want to hear the spoilers yet, don't worry, you're in the right place. Every first half of a Pixar rewatch series episode will have non-spoilers you'll go over the cast and crew the box office the specs and we also will put in every non-spoiler section for the pixar uh, a snapshot of where the pixar company is in relation to when this movie came out so example for this episode we'll be talking about what pixar was looking like in 2006 when ratatouille hit theaters in the spoiler section what you'll get after your spoiler warning you get all the regular stuff the twists and turns we tell you about our happiness our heartbreak with the film and we mm-hmm. also concentrate on the 22 rules of screenwriting success that pixar put out some time ago that have been legendary among screenwriting circles. We do that one rule per movie covered and we're going through all 20 some odd Pixar movies. Is it 21 or 22? I can never remember. It's going to be 21. So we're probably going to have to do two rules for Toy Story 4 when we finally do get to Toy Story 4, which is uh, what all of this is building toward. Exactly true. Uh, Mike, we've been five for five so far. Mm-hmm. I, I re-listened I to our Incredibles 2 Oscar Sprint Profile, which I've also put on the playlist. I think we had a blast with the Toy Story 1-inspired 1995 Best Original Song yes. episode. So we're almost kind of seven for seven right now, because there's going to be seven episodes yeah. in that Pixar playlist. This is number eight, and now the stakes are raised because you have come into the pre-production meeting, essentially, not a huge fan of this movie. I'm not crazy about this movie. And I am going to have to do my best sell job and perhaps maybe win you over, at least to the other side of the 50% line on the fence. I don't know. I'm prepared to say, when we get to the the, uh, (laughs) reviews, that if I were a critic, I would have rated this one rotten. Wow. Yeah, I'm really not high on it. All right, so I got my work cut out for me. I don't know if I can do it. Mike didn't like my Bruce Springsteen impression. It's not that I didn't like it. I didn't say that. Don't put words in my mouth. I have my doubts. (laughs) Uh, Mike's going to start us off with the cast and crew to get us going on the non-spoilers. Co-written and co-directed by Brad Bird and Jan Pinkava. I hope I pronounced that right. Probably not. Yeah, you think Jan's right. Bird is, of course, responsible for both Incredibles, as well as the Iron Giant and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Dun, dun. I was wondering how far you'd go with it. (laughs) Uh, Pinkava 
had worked his way up in the ranks at Pixar, which is pretty cool. So I yeah. mean, he's in the animation departments for A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2. Michael go over more of this as we uh, get into the history of it and works himself up into the co-director job. And then it's a bit of a mess for this one, mm. like you'll talk about. As for the cast, Mike, this is a more eclectic bunch, I would say, of voice talents. Uh, forgive me for saying this, but I, they didn't really go the A-list names necessarily. I, I love these these actors, let's be honest, but uh, I say the darndest things. We all know this after last mm. episode. I don't have a filter. I'm basically my grandparents right now. <laughs> uh, we're still with us. God love them. And I just talk shit. So Pat Oswalt... He could get mad at me for not calling him an A-lister, but Patton Oswalt is a stand-up comedian, a great one. He is a well-known foodie, and he is Remy the Rat Chef. In 2006, I would say he wasn't an A-lister for right. sure. Yeah, if you go by that. so I, I'm I not would, crazy. He's, he's definitely Im- improved his public image and profile since then. I would say now he probably is. A lot of people know him. He's on an NBC sitcom every week sure. with uh, with Glenn Howerton from uh, Always Sunny there, AP Bio, which is very funny. But yeah, I would say that's, that's probably accurate. Brian Dennehy was an A-lister at one point. <laughs> He's an MMO A-lister. That's He's an sure. MMO A-lister. He plays Django the Rat Dad. We got a lot of American and British actors doing French accents in the kitchen there of all the chefs. We have Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond. He plays the ghost of Gusto. Yes. We have Janine Garofalo plays Colette. What an accent. <laughs> <laughs> we have Will Arnett is Horst. And we have Bilbo Baggins himself from the original trilogy. Ian Holm plays Chef Skinner. I didn't even know that Will Arnett was in this movie. Me neither. Yeah. I, I, I saw him in the cast. He played me. A, I mean, he wasn't big at this movie. Yeah, no, he that, wasn't. That's what, again, yeah. you know, not the necessarily A-listers, you know, at the top of Hollywood. And look, Peter O'Toole was an A-lister for, for 30-something right. years. Great voice, too. I guess when you're a 30-year-old A-lister, you're probably always an A-lister. Well, you're a legend at that point, right? You're just grandfathered in, literally. So the legend uh, of Lawrence of Arabia, Peter O'Toole, plays the food critic Anton Ego. What a ridiculous character. But what was really surprising to me is that they went with two voices of animators uh, in big roles for for this movie. Lula Romano is from the art departments going back to Cartoon Network's Dexter's Laboratory. Cool. Then he, you know, hooks up with Brad Bird. He's in The Incredibles. He voiced the teacher, which is a very funny character. Uh-huh. You have Peter Sohn plays Remy's brother, Emil. Mm. Sohn being an animator on five other Pixar films. Again, working with Bird on the Iron Giant, Giant as Romano did. And Romano is the voice of Linguini. We've talked about in previous episodes, too, Pixar's storyboarding process and how the storyboard directors have to kind of emulate all the voices anyway. Mm. So it really isn't that much of a stretch to say that they're going to just use their voices that they do in selling the story to the animators and just put them in a booth and record it as it is. They just like the work right. they did so much and once you do it once, they're like, alright we'll, we'll give you something yeah. in the next movie too and oh, we'll give you a bigger part yeah, in the next not? movie your talent. Mike, you have the history of the Pixar company here for Ratatouille, yeah. I'm curious. So we didn't talk about this when we did the, the movie for A Bug's Life, but in the cinematic version of A Bug's Life, there was a short that debuted before it in theaters that was attached to it that we never really talked about. The short was called Jerry's Game. Yes. It's about this um, delusional schizophrenic playing chess against himself for his own set of false teeth in the park. Which is kind of funny, but <laughs> also terrifying. But that's, I mean, that's literally what it's about, if you get down to it. We're coming to realize that this is a lot of what Pixar does. Yes, yes. (laughs) Very adult themes. But this short would win the Oscar for Best Animated Short Film back in 1998 when it debuted with A Bug's Life. We didn't talk about it like I said, but the reason any of this is relevant is because that short was written and directed by Jan Pinkava, as Mike already told you about, was involved with this film of Ratatouille. Pinkava created that short as he had other works as a member of the Pixar team, which he was a part of since its early days back in 1993. Mike told you he kind of worked his way up the ladder there. We talk often about how different Pixar movies started out as passion projects, usually for one of the original team members. We've talked about how The Incredibles mm-hmm. was a Brad Bird passion project. We talked about how Toy Story was a John Lasseter passion project. This movie was shaping up to be Pinkava's passion project as he would begin honing the character sets pretty 
much everything except the script, and he developed them all back in the year 2000 for this movie, which wouldn't get released until some years later in 2006. Uh, though he was never officially offered the director's chair for the film, Ratatouille was given the green light to head into production in order to become the eighth Pixar film. And more importantly, and arguably most importantly, at the time of the green light, mm -hmm. it was to be the first film created by Pixar without the backing or expected help or aid at all of Disney. So right now, as this movie's kind of in production, Pixar is operating as this is a first standalone Pixar movie. So in other words, Ratatouille was to be Pixar's first, and it would turn out to be only a uh, movie in which Pixar alone gave the go-ahead to go into production. They were not being overseen by any house of mouse or its creativity therein. That's fascinating. Uh, they just came off Incredibles, mm -hmm. doing very well. They're trying to ramp up the production schedule. They're trying to get these out yearly at this point, mm -hmm. or as close to that as possible. I think they're feeling some of the pressure. I think they oh yeah they they noticed on a different route for apprenticeship. Usually they have like Andrew Stanton as a co-director before he becomes the sole director, right? And Lee Unkrich and so on and so forth. This didn't happen. They this guy did a couple short films in the animation departments. They thought he could handle a full-blown script and they run into some problems. Though he was never officially given the title of director, this was kind of his baby, sure. and for all intents and purposes, as the story goes, he's kind of going to get demoted. He still gets the co-director credit, right? but it, it, it is somewhat of a demotion, and you'll see why. Uh, the, the pressure of this being Pixar's first standalone pressure, uh, picture, I should say, uh, it, it brought along its own problems, obviously, to the Pixar wanted to get it right, but they were unimpressed with the story Pinkava was pushing for the film. Again, this guy was considered to be a master sculptor and a master artiste as far as like what the designs of the characters were to look like, what the sets were to look like. He just couldn't get the story right, and Pixar agreed he couldn't get the story right. So mm -hmm. as such, Pixar assigned longtime storyboarder and writer Bob Peterson to try and aid Pinkava in nailing down the story that they could use for the film. Still, though, the company was unimpressed and underwhelmed, so we're getting up towards the date of release here, Pixar knows they have a 2006 June window that they have to get a film out in. We're talking about them standing alone, away from Disney. Cars has already kind of oh. been in the back burner. They know they're standing out there, a man without an island, basically. Yeah. They're standing alone. Steve so. Jobs is posturing yes. heavily right now at the negotiating table. So they know they don't have Disney support in 2005 with a deadline to get this film out some 18, 18 months later. With zero story and growing desperation they pulled off a Hail Mary. They moved Pinkava to that aforementioned co-director position and they let Peterson go work on another Pixar film that he had his heart set on which would eventually turn out to be Up. And they brought in Brad Bird, freshly off his work on The Incredibles, in to have complete story control. Bird put an emphasis on getting out to the real Paris on Pixar's dime, of course. Bird and five other Pixar they just members take the best field trips. <laughs> had their own trip, a six-day vacation out there in Paris, which was a working vacation. But uh, they were able to refocus the story on Remy alone, using the real spots in the city as a backdrop. Bird parsed down the main rat characters from Remy's entire family, which was the original concept of the story, to just the main protagonist rat himself, and even killed off the Gusto character right from the get-go, <laughs> as he was only a, a figment of Remy's imagination throughout this film as opposed to his own standalone character. Eventually, Pixar was pleased with what the story landed on, and probably more importantly, by the time the film was released in the U.S. in June of 2007... Uh, the company had officially become purchased by Disney right. for over a year at that point. So while Ratatouille was the Pixar's big standalone coming out party to prove they didn't need the House of Mouse, what it ended up being was just another massive hit for Disney and proof that acquiring Pixar in whole would prove to be a wise business decision for, uh, at that point, it wasn't Michael Eisner, it was um, Bob Iger. So Bob Iger comes in, Steve Jobs gets along much better with Bob Iger. The first meeting, in fact, Bob Iger is like, listen, not only do we want to buy Pixar, we want Pixar to basically become the way we do animation going forward. Yeah. And it was incredible to Steve Jobs and everybody at Pixar. They're like, yeah, they got into some negotiation negotiations where they had to meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. But more or less, like the Pixar people became in charge of a lot of... You know, I mean, Lasseter gets promoted eventually into head of Disney Animation Studios. And Dis yeah, Disney Animation wouldn't become really its own standalone. I mean, look at what Disney Animation is. Now we have Wreck-It Ralph, which is a Disney Animation Studios. Sure. That's a Pixar 
type film, right? Very, very similar. So that's they uh, they kind of came in and had made wholesale changes. Again, we haven't gotten to the actual fight. We're tiptoeing around the big standoff or the big Western showdown between Jobs Cars One and and Eisner. That has a lot to do with what happened around Cars. Cars is going to be probably a huge episode for us, if only because it's got the most packed behind the scenes. It's three movies. They're not good. No, (laughs) at least they're not rated very highly across the board (laughs) relative to every other Pixar movie. So that's going to be something uh, we get to. It's going to be a hell of a, a show for us. We're just kind of dragging our feet because we are we have a lot to do in these next two weeks ourselves. So yes. we're talking about Ratatouille today. Also, you said Pixar a lot. You said Picture a lot. And you said Pinkava a lot. I, I, I tip my hat to you, sir. Ole. It's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A couple of production nuggets here, Mike. Uh, look, I'm just dripping with envy at Pixar's you know entire Even work Even when they make a experience. mistake, they do it right. <laughs> yeah, but, but think about working for them. Like, all right, we need we need to go on a fact-finding mission mm. to Paris, France. Yep. And we're going to make a movie about... It's a working vacation, but we're going to make a movie about the best restaurants in Paris. Look, <laughs> yes, great job. They made Paris look Genius. like Paris. Paris has so very little to do with this movie. <laughs> Other than it's a city that has sewers... And there's nice restaurants. There's nice restaurants. <laughs> and there's a couple nice establishing shots. Right. But bottom line is I'm jealous. Yeah. I'm very jealous. Of course. Uh, I, I am just dripping with envy. Brad Bird may have taken advantage of a desperate company there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we got to go to Paris. Well, it's wild because, Mike, I think out of college, Brad Bird interned, or during college, he interned at a famous restaurant in California, Thomas Keller's The French Laundry, where Thomas Keller developed the uh, Confit Bialdi. All right, and that was the dish that was the famous take on Ratatouille. That is the dish you oh, see no at kidding. the end of this movie. Huh. How about that? Isn't well, there that you wild? go. That is pretty so cool. that is a production nugget that you actually like for once. <laughs> Mike, you have movie specs. They'll talk about specs for Ratatouille. You heard a lot of the first stuff already, directed by Brad Bird and Jan Pinkava, who gets the co-director credit. Pinkava also gets an original story by credit. Brad Bird gets the lone screenplay credit. Jim, Copa, Bianca, and Bird also share original story by credits along with Pinkava and Emily Cook. Kathy Greenberg and Bob Peterson each have additional story material by credits. A lot of credits to go around as most Pixar movies do, except for The Incredibles so far in this lineage, which is kind of interesting that Bird had to go from the guy pursuing his own passion project, getting The Incredibles to the screen by himself, not doing the whole Pixar brain trust movement like we've talked about, where everybody's making comments and notes on everyone else's scripts, and this one, he's kind of called in at the last minute to get what usually is a three-year process of an animated film out the door in 18 months with this big effort, group effort. He's getting phone calls that are like, the Pinkava Pixar picture (laughs) is purchased by Disney, we gotta get it right, Brad Bird. Alliteration. Who is this? <laughs> Film debut June 22nd, 2007. I kept saying 2006. I was wrong. Uh, 2007 <laughs> at the Kodak Theater in LA and went wide a week later in the US, June 29th. It's a 111 minute runtime, about 20 minutes longer than the average Pixar movie we've been yeah. doing at this point on a G rating. Michael Giacchino again did the music for this as he did for Bird in The Incredibles as well, but this led to his first best score Oscar nomination. Uh, Walt Disney, he did not win that. Walt Disney Company and Pixar are listed as the production company. Companies. Disney owned Buena Vista is the distributor for this. We talked about why that was already. The film had a $150 million production budget, which would be the highest production budget for any Pixar film up to this point. Fascinating. Again, probably due to them really wanting to make it a success on their own, probably due to what a mess behind the scenes this picture turned into. The movies that become a mess behind the scenes, typically their budgets just expand. Yeah. You know, and it's easy with animation because you know the, everything's get expensive they, there's a lot of rendering innovations that we're going to talk about that they yeah. make that cost them a lot of money before they figured it out uh, extremely high scores though across the board for this one 8.0 IMDB rating on 575,000 plus reviews 96% certified fresh rotten tomato score and 247 critic scores 11 of those being rotten 87% audience score and 1 million plus reviews there on rotten tomatoes for this and a 96 meta rating which would have it as the highest rated Pixar film ever according According to Metacritic, so take that for what you will there, yeah. this film's finances did just fine. $620 million worldwide box office that included $206.4 million domestically. It finished as the highest grossing G-rated film of 2007 and the sixth highest grossing film worldwide of 2007. It did, of course, win the Best Animated Feature Oscar of that year in the 2008 Academy Awards, but it was also nominated for four others. 
It did land an original screenplay nomination. It did not win there. It also won best, or it was nominated, I should say, for best achievement in music written for motion pictures, original score, best achievement in sound mixing, best achievement in sound editing as well. That's its Oscar profile. Uh, did well for itself. Best animated film of the year. I think you wrote all that down and you're still down on it. Is That's very surprising. So here's my thesis statement for my take on this. And I, I, it's something I gave great thought to throughout the day today after I was done being so negative in my notes about this. Mm-hmm. I think this show might have ruined me for movies like this. Our show here. Because I didn't, if I didn't grow up with it and I didn't, I haven't, I've never seen Ratatouille before. This is my mm-hmm. first watch of it. So if I didn't grow up with it and I don't have that attached nostalgia like you said you do in our best in our best original song category last episode you have okay. that attachment to that song and that's why it ranks so highly with you if i don't have that kind of nostalgia attached to it and tied in with it i don't i, I think I, I default to being an oscar critic and i'm just like oh this doesn't make sense to me i don't know why anyone would find this cutesy this is just a abhorrent misuse of story and so you I think do. this show might have ruined us. You do. You, you are, uh, <laughs> or at least me. Michael Ego. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. But basically, like, I think when you don't love a movie, you're staring down the barrel of how many hours of editing this. Yes. Talking to me, talking to me is not easy. So you're looking, like, it's almost negative reinforcement. I've been thinking about this a lot. So if a movie really doesn't wow you, and it's fine. You have the high standards where our grades have a three-point curve. Yeah. I'm hoping I can talk you into a few, you know, things to like about this movie as we go. But let's get into plot premise and, and start things off. A rat who can cook makes an unusual alliance with a young kitchen worker at a famous restaurant. So if you start from this plot premise... A rat who can cook. Immediately, like if that is a problem for you, then you just can't get over that. Then it's then it's a major problem overall. Well, I don't really have issues with this movie until like the halfway point. So, and part of the reason is because of the kid gloves they treat this concept with. Like, okay, yes, it's a rat who can cook. It's ridiculous. But one of the first scenes we have is a little old lady chasing a rat around her house with a shotgun right. and trying to blow it away, mm-hmm. causing her own house to cave in on itself. That's funny. Because, it takes us out of yes, really, realism, it is right? Funny. Now, I will add this level of meta-ness. What if, Mike, this is, you know, they're going through negotiations with Disney. They make a movie about a rodent Yeah. during those negotiations with the mouse. Yeah. Is that a coincidence? Maybe. You could be honest. Are own. they saying something about the Disney? That would be funny. Mouse. And this 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 Remy was a uh, an awfully arrogant uh, rodent. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's fair. So fair maybe you can enjoy it on another level. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about expectations for a minute. Look, I remember loving this movie when, I, when it came out, so I had high expectations for the rewatch. I'll be honest, uh, I didn't love this movie as much as I remembered. And uh, that's why, as an Oscar critic now, looking back on it, we can commiserate a bit because I don't come away like, oh, this is one of my favorite Pixar movies. It has one of my favorite moments in the franchise, which is a feat of storytelling strength that I'm really into. I also think, like, the impact of this film might be more than we give it credit for, Mike, because... This is why we're all foodies today. This is why. It's not Well, it looks great. The food looks phenomenal. Yeah, it's not movie. Guy Fieri, it's Remy the Rat that is responsible for the fact that this entire generation of people who are our age and younger basically grew up as foodies and started taking pictures of what of, of what they're eating at restaurants. You may be right. That may, there may be something to that. This movie looked argue, delicious. Yeah, it did look very good. To they finish. took painstaking efforts. If you do the research, they talk about Brad Bird talked about especially how they actually went to culinary classes, they went to cooking classes, they had rats hanging out in the hallways of Pixar just like so they could study their movements at mm-hmm. any given time. So in the usual Pixar way, yes, there was fanaticism fanaticism obsessions yeah. about what they were doing here. Like, if I saw Remy and Emil as sentient being, <laughs> beings eating the way they were eating in this movie, uh-huh. I'd be like, hey, can I have a bite of that? <laughs> I would be because it looked, the food looked so you delectable. Also, you also are like the prime consumer that every food <laughs> advertising and marketer wants to have see their th- stuff. Because you get swayed easily. Um, nom, nom. <laughs> in, my whole, in my head the whole time. Um, nom, nom, nom. You're right. You're right. But, so, all right, so what were your expectations? Were they super high? Yeah, uh, maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's why I'm a little more let down than normal, because of course they were super high. Super high marks across the board. Another half a billion dollar plus property. I just thought this was going to be like another one of those Pixar gems I just hadn't gotten around to and I would fall in love with. Finding Dory was kind of the same thing. I had never seen it. 
Yes, it has its issues, but yeah. I was able to embrace it wholly. Now, is that because I saw Finding Nemo already? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. The attachment to the character right. is pretty strong. The sympathy there is pretty strong right at the beginning of Finding Dory. Right. I mean, well, you also said one of the most adorable. I would lay my life on the line for yeah. young baby Dory, yes. You had a superlative right <laughs> off the bat there. So that helped win yes. you over yes, immediately. And I kind of have a superlative at the end of this film, which okay. kind of wins me over. But also, if I went to the grocery store now, I'm coming away with cheeses and baguettes, man. I don't know if you're feeling the same urge as I am, but I'm like really, really I knew tempted. watching this movie for how much the emphasis was put on food. I was thinking about you a lot. I'm like, I know he's going to just be like drooling on himself That's during a, this review. Is that a French wrapper on that wheel of cheese? <laughs> Unnecessary purchase? Put it in the basket. Well, there is something to be said about that, though, because... Be, the, they did take such great painstaking efforts to make it look as good as it did. Yeah. I mean, if it looked just like cartoon food, you may not be that obsessed with it, right? Perfect, so. perfect transition, because uh, transition, yeah. if you make a <laughs> you're magician, you're already truly. <laughs> review of production values, that's first on our docket. Great article by Bill Desowitz at on.com slash animation world. Ratatouille, Pixar style, Bon Appetit. I think I'm, I'm reading the link. I'm not reading the article. Okay. Headline right now, but bottom line is they go through all the innovations. And first of all, they, they created uh, two programs. One was called Collision. And Collision basically redid all their movement stuff because now when a mouse grabs a salt shaker, this, it smushes its belly and it does it automatically. Huh. And the fur comes up off the top. They basically had to downplay the whole fur software that right. they did from Monsters, Inc. So they went got away from the fur software. Like, it's not going to work with these rats because the, their fur is too short. So they, they wanted to basically create a software that would cheat all the collisions. So that's why when they sit on a bag, the bag just automatically, you know, ah. paper bag, it moves. And, and throughout the movie, it, they added that realism. Another program they came up with was a program called scatter which was big with the lighting because you had sometimes a couple hundred rats on screen or you had the chaos of a restaurant kitchen Mm -hmm. with a million things going on (laughs) at once and the lighting all of the lighting algorithms were going off they were just they looked terrible they didn't like it and they had to change how they lit everything which is the the main thesis of this entire article is basically mike We've gone from movie to movie now where they're like caricature, caricature over realism. And in this movie, they're all about realism. And before the cartoon rat runs onto the screen, yeah, it looks like a real restaurant. It's visually stunning. It really it, is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I no was calms. just like in awe. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like a real city street with the rain or the water or the fountain or the sewer or whatever. That Paris trip didn't go to waste. And then the cartoon <laughs> rat goes across the screen. But I was just fascinated by all these innovations. Uh, they even do a Citizen Kane zoom through a pane glass window <laughs> shot before Remy falls into that kitchen. Oh, my God. I mean, the, what they're doing with the cinematography in this movie is, is absolutely incredible. Uh, but the hardest thing they said was making the food look delicious. And they pulled it off. I mean, it really does look just... Fat. And it, it, Ratatouille is mm. not something that's like, you know, delicious or something that people crave necessarily. Yeah. So, the, But w- they made it look astounding. Whenever they lit it, like they, the rest of the Pixar movies, the food just looked like cartoon food. Right. And it didn't look any good to eat but they knew they had to draw you in draw guys like me in just like i want cheese (laughs) and they knew they needed that for all us adults that love the food porn that's the only reason we go (laughs) bottom line mike they had to do realistic lighting strategies and that changed everything because like we can't just light the food that way we have to light everything that way it it really is I would even put it maybe above Dory. It's it's probably the most visually impressive Pixar yeah. movie we've seen thus far. And like none Paris. of my gripes have to... Um, all my gripes are story-driven, which right. kind of makes sense because the story was such a mess and a last-minute get-together thing. But, yeah, there's nothing I, I don't think anyone can say about the visuals that could take this movie down at all. One more time back with cinematography. Like, you see this world through the rat's POV a lot. Like, the camera is in the rat's POV, literally, as it's scampering about the kitchen. And that kitchen's not that spectacular. No. Or it's scampering across the road. It's just a regular road. Like, to do that all fast action and then to have the chase scene later in the movie, all of that is just incredible. You could never do that, obviously, 
I mean, maybe the MCU could with Ant-Man, but you, you don't see that anywhere else. Sharon Callahan was the one of the cinematographers yes. uh, credited on this. She was given the title of Director of Photography Lighting for Ratatouille, as she was for Cars 2 and The Good Dinosaur. Innovation. Like, yeah. I mean, necessity is the mother of innovation. Is that some, a mother of, uh, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Innovation is the mother of, yeah, necessity is the mother. Yeah, yeah it works. Yeah, I, you got that, it. That works? I think I got <laughs> you it. You got it. You got anything else on the uh, score there, Mike? Any of the music? I know you, I know you said it was... Uh, nominated. It for was Oscar. nominated. I got to tell you, I wasn't. I was score aw- deaf. Yeah, I wasn't blown away by it myself. I didn't really get any kind of. <sighs> sounded French. Sounded pretty. Yeah, right. That's about. It's about where I land on it too. Like, okay, yeah, we're in France. I we're get it. France. I'll buy it. <laughs> I like. That's a baguette. That music is not hurting my uh, <laughs> ability to crave this food. So I'm in. I was a little surprised <laughs> to see it. Well, it did land a, a score nominee, but okay, that's fine. So. Performances and character animations, uh, I think it's fitting because Patton Oswalt's such a renowned foodie. He even was back then. I'm a big Patton Oswalt fan, too. too. I love him. Uh, great comedian. I've seen all of his specials. Mm. You know, I'm a big fan, too. I've read his movie books, which are great movie yep. books. Like, he is such a movie nerd. And, oh, my God, I forget the name of it now. Anyway, it's in my Goodreads. Follow me on Goodreads. Also, Mike, at Goodreads. I put that out there a couple time, at times, and you'll see the Patton Oswalt book I read. But he's a perfect choice for Remy. The voice just fits. Yeah, I it think. does. It does. It they, really they, does. There was a mention about that in, uh, in casting and how he was kind of an underrated choice, but they thought that once they actually got to him, he seemed like a you know a hand fitting a glove. And I have, I have no gripes about any character, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, Brian Dennehy, Mike. Brian Denny, good, right? We've been screaming for more Brian Denny. If I were to Dennehy. say to you in 2002, Brian <laughs> Dennehy and Jamie Foxx are both going to be playing a character named Django, which one of these two is going to be in a Quentin Tarantino slave movie? You're putting some money would have gone on Dennehy, right? As right. a slave driver? Right. Why is the rat named Django if it's I not? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's not for the spaghetti western. It has to be. I mean, they also named Colette, I think, after the writer, Colette. You know, that, that makes just, sense. Yeah, that I did makes... have problems with, with that character and that forced, forced, forced love story. The forced love story is <laughs> unnecessary. It's literally forced. But, uh, but look, I mean, hiring ac- actors who can do French accents, that's, that's uh, fun. That would have been a good start instead of Janine Garofalo. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm dumping on her character. I really don't mean to, but that was... That was something. Why they didn't hire us uh, <laughs> is actually totally obvious because we have. I cannot do a French accent to save we have my it up life so often. Uh. You more than me, but <laughs> no, I'm, I can't do uh, it. I really like the character of the the villain. I know they brought him in late, but they he has some great scenes. Skinner, Chef Skinner, there. No, not, I like Skinner as well, but I'm talking about Anton. No, Ego, Anton Ego, the food critic. Yeah. I, I think he has some, the most economy that I've seen in a while. I wonder if that was Brad Bird, you know, because it, may, it would make sense to me because he do, he only gets three scenes in the movie. Right. It's the prologue right in the middle and then the, well, the four scenes because he got an epilogue. But he's got the big scene, you know, op, the two scenes, so he's got five scenes. <laughs> he's going to keep going. He's got three scenes got in the finale. Scenes. He's got three scenes in the finale, but you only have two for a setup. But he's, no, he's nowhere in, in the, at any point of this end. movie. Right. Like, so, he's got the one scene at the beginning, and then yeah. he's not hanging over this picture at all. You forget about him completely. It's like, And then he's the main antagonist yeah, brought out the last Whenever you time. have a quote-unquote fish-out-of-water comedy kind of thing, I mean, go all the way back to Splash. You, you spend more time with the scenario, the comic scenario, than you do with the villain. I mean, this is screenwriting structure. So you only have a scene or two, and you, in Splash, you just follow that villain once, twice. Yeah, but you see them throughout the movie. They're not just at the beginning and just yeah, at the end. They're, they're Think about the boss of, in, in, in uh, Christmas Vacation. I mean, he gets the interspersed, you know, and then he's kidnapped. You, you well, see the boss in Christmas Vacation... I can't speak. <laughs> he's only in three scenes tops. But you he's interspurt. He's at least in the middle of the movie. So he's like, you're reminded, hey, well, don't saying. forget about this guy. Anton Ego is in the movie. He's mentioned by the group, right? And at the end of Act One, he's mentioned by the team. By name. There was a there's a critic yeah, out there. By name. Anton Ego? Yes. No. Okay. Phew. Right. So he was mentioned there to keep you remembered. He's in the prologue, obviously, and then he's in the middle of the movie, and then he shows up. You're right. For all of Act Three, he yeah. does show up for Act Three. But 
You're right. You're right. But and I also don't like the subtext <laughs> that the critic is the big bad and just out to make people's lives miserable. I do because <laughs> I have oh, okay. self-reflection capabilities. That guy wouldn't be a critic. He would insert, be the devil. Insert lawyer jokes now <laughs> about my co-host. All right. So I mean, we pretty much hit on the script thoughts and the final thoughts, right? We're yeah, and I'm gonna have more to say about the script than the spoilers, anyway. So okay, cool. Yeah, let's uh, let's break it down. Spoilers ahead. Oh, you gotta taste this. This is oh, it's got this kind of nice burning, melty. It's not really a smoky taste. It, it, it's a certain oh, it, it's kind of like a. <laughs> This is the spoiler section to the Pixar rewatch series episode brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar covering Ratatouille. If you've not seen the movie yet, that's a good place for you to hit pause, go watch the movie. We'll be waiting for you when you come back. If you've seen the movie already, if you want to hear our thoughts on what happens, or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you so much in the non-spoiler section that you cannot possibly go another minute without hearing our thoughts or our takes on what does happen, this is where you want to be. All spoilers all the time for Ratatouille, the Pixar rewatch series episode, the Ratatouille entry brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. How we start these spoiler sections is also Mike is going to go over the appropriate Pixar screenwriting rule for success that is applicable to this movie. Mike, the floor is yours. So rule number nine could not have come or been matched up with a better movie. Okay. Because here's how rule number nine reads. When you're stuck, make a list of what would not happen. <laughs> Lots of times, the material to get you unstuck will show up. So, Mike, what happens in this movie seems like a lot of bad ideas at the brainstorming level. It seems like it wouldn't work, right? It would not happen next, like the rule says. And they use this mantra to let things play out. So, what you get is a very implausible narrative, but because you start with an implausible premise... I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. You don't seem to do that, but I will just say, why would they think to have the rat use him as a human puppet? Why would they think <laughs> to have Gusto as a ghost that is just like the, in the, the POV of the rat? Like, why would a human ghost haunt a rat? Why would Brad Garrett <laughs> speak French? All of these things are would not happen. To, to these characters in any, you know, world, and yet they use kind of these goofy things to, to play to play with. Um, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> My least hmm. convincing sell job <laughs> yet, apparently. Um, I will say that as far as this rule goes in terms of this movie, they certainly do focus on a lot of things that wouldn't logically happen next. Right. And they did try to make them playful and fit this kind of aloofness that they were going for. Is this a kid's movie? We've oh, had this argument. Oh, yes. this I think so, too. Well, think I just about... wish it was more... Yeah. I think it started as a kid's movie, and then they got hung up on the mechanism of what would actually happen if humans found out rats were in a real kitchen. And it's yeah. so bizarre to me because they went out of their way to make these rats so unrat-like, which you also could see in the research. Oh, yeah. I mean, they make Remy walk on two legs because of it. They don't want to have him, Look, you know. This is really happening. This is bubonic plague to part due. Right. Which is such a serious thing. I don't understand why you would put that in a children's movie. Hey, mommy. Like, don't have everyone figure out the rats are there. Guess who's helping me cook today? And you started off on the right foot by having, like, you take the seriousness and the gravitas out of it right away by having that old woman destroy her own home. All the rats need to leave. And we don't talk about her again. It's just a funny one-off. It's fine. Funny one-off. You know? So we take out the seriousness of it. This isn't going to be a serious... This isn't going to be Fifle. I You know? Yeah, correct. <laughs> I think Fifle was a it was a story that works a little better, to be honest and with you. And then we go right back into the seriousness of it. That kind of ruins it for me at the end. You're correct. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I think I'm with you overall on its lapses. Now, does that going to give... Force me to give it a negative review. No, because it's fun and it's based on an 
Just a ridiculous premise. So once you base it in a fantasy world for me that this rat is basically one of the most talented minds and the uh, human minds yeah. going. Absurd. Once you tell me this, so this rat is a sentient being. It's not a bug's life where they're just trying to survive. It's not a Finding Dory where they're just trying to survive, Mike. These rats have a whole society with mores. It's like Planet of the Apes, but with rats. <laughs> it is, yeah. You know, so these are basically humanized rats. Okay, I, I, I agree. It is an absurd premise. Right. So play with it. Don't make it... Don't have the fucking health inspector come in. <laughs> it's, you know, funny like, when, <laughs> it's funny when they throw the health inspector into the uh, closet, though. And what's the payoff to that? Well, we had to let him out, so of course the restaurant got shut down. <laughs> what? <laughs> Or we're just going to build an equally beautiful restaurant <laughs> yeah, across the river. Yeah, and there's a, there's, so nobody learns anything in this movie. Right. Like, nobody, there's no consequences. There's no, there's no struggle of conscience for yeah. anyone. Chef Skinner actually built an industry upon the, <laughs> right. the upon the bones of a failing restaurant. This is one of my biggest gripes, too. <laughs> like, the whole movie, we're, we're, one of the parts is that they don't know what they want the moral of this movie to be. So the whole movie, one of the morals we're thrown at is that Remy is learning to change his ways. Don't steal. Right, that's a whole thing about that. Him, his conversation like with Gusto. I did too. Yeah. I thought this is great, great. You're implementing case. something, and then the only reason that Remy discovers that Linguini, Alfredo Linguini, is the is Gusto's kid is because he chooses to spit in the face of Gusto's ghost. Say, I'm going to steal and feed my parents that showed up out of nowhere because I'm mad now, and that's what I'm going to do. Right. And he finds the letter because he's trying to break into the fridge. But he's also volunteering, and he continually oh. volunteers for two things, Mike. Cheese and grapes. After he makes people five star dishes, <laughs> but all that fucking wait, asshole wait, gives him is cheese wait, and grapes. My point is, so because not not in spite of and not like as a funny thing, specifically right. because he doesn't show character progression and actually regresses and does the wrong thing. Yeah, he's rewarded. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. He is immediately kicked out, but that really plays too fast, is my, my opinion. A lot of stuff plays too fast, yes. It, it just plays way too fast. Like, he immediately realizes, I'm going to come back and then I'm going to help him. And then they, the, the other guy, Linguini, realizes that he's going to, okay, I'm sorry, The emotional back. extremes, yes, is another big problem I had. Was that, like, uh, I, I'm, I'm tired of you not giving me credit, even though I just started getting credit right now. Linguini <laughs> should be worshipped this rat's and what feet. did he think was going to happen when he kicked the rat out? Like yeah. all of a sudden, oh my god, we don't know any words. Like that's what it was. He gets so emotional, he kicks the rat I out. I can't and boil he's an like, egg. Holy shit! I don't know how to cook. <laughs> no, he didn't think at all. He is a dumbass. So what do you do in that act of desperation? You let this horde, this bubonic-sized Megatron Zord of a rat life come infest your kitchen. However, they make a funny joke when they all, in in just squadrons, get into the dishwasher. <laughs> That's hilarious. When there they, funny parts to it. When yeah. they, as a squadron of 50 rats, set in the dishwasher, it goes down, and it comes back <laughs> up, and then another 50 rats go in. That made me laugh really hard. There was certainly good and comedic one-off jokes. I agree. Well, and I think that's where it shined but I just don't think there was a moral I don't think this movie knew what it's moral wanted to be there's 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 a bunch of combating morals for me anyway there's this film tries to push it, it doesn't know what it wants the main moral to be right. do you want it to be uh, about believing in yourself about believing in being yourself without fear despite what your loved ones may want you to be otherwise uh, going chasing your dreams being independent from your family like they try to just stuff every mother goose type moral and lesson in at the end here and be like pick one that's what this movie was about yeah they're 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 basically trying to uh fix the script yes too fast right exactly under, under pressure exactly true they do pull it together somewhat and i do like like you know the one two threes typically if you're hitting that theme like the thievery theme yes you got act one act two act three beats for that they theme. do I agree. so the, when you go through that theme it does work when you go through the theme with the critic like i said you got him showing up in act one act you two, like act that three. one more than me yeah. i like those little subplots when they hit them and, and the scenes really work <laughs> and how about the seriousness of the critic being told at the end a rat made your food he's like ah yeah that's fine <laughs> i've been waiting for this day it was prophesied <laughs> yeah. prophesied when i walked into that fortune teller's office <laughs> 
I was told one day my entire reality is the stone. greatest. Can you imagine? Imagine somebody at his newspaper, the editor that publishes his work, doing a little research and finding out he's crediting the greatest chef in France, and it's a rat. <laughs> Sentient rat. Uh, ego, we have to let you go. <laughs> he would probably jump off the Eiffel Tower because he was someone that set in their ways. as a critic. He's like, I have gone mad. This is Peter O'Toole would be like, and madness has finally caught up with me. That's the worst. Ego, we, uh, we did some digging over the weekend, and it turns out you were eating food prepared by a rat <laughs> in 18th century France. You have many things wrong with your blood right now. We did a blood test. The food wasn't good. You've gone insane from eating rat food. All right. Um, we were having some fun with yes. this. I still think some of the story works. and the scenes, I don't disagree. Like don't scene disagree. to scene, it kind of works. So let me just go through that scene with the, the heartbreak of the movie. The only one was when Anton Ego... Literally takes a bite of the ratatouille. This got to you. Flashes back to his mother's kitchen. His mom... And, and after he had a bad day, he's crying in the doorway. Mm -hmm. His mother sits him down, gives him a, a bowl of ratatouille. Boy, good thing they decided to make ratatouille that night, huh? And he <laughs> smiles, right? Yeah, no, there's definitely a happenstance here. <laughs> it's a, it, yeah, it's very good. No, you're, you're right. I mean, that yeah, that... that it all it didn't fit because there was no flashbacks or nostalgia at any other point, which is fine. You can well, have it as a one-off. They're just showing a yeah. hardened heart. You could have, guy yeah, you could have it as a one-off for that, and I think I agree. I do think it did work as because well. he's on the phone. He's like, "I thought I put them out of business," and it's a really nice right. scene. I forget how it how it finishes, but it's a nice scene with the critic Anton Ego and Peter O'Toole's going through, and I'm like, "Oh yeah." And I will say, for as great as the graphics look and the food looked throughout the movie, they went balls out in that ratatouille scene. Oh, look, I mean. The, the, the cucumber, the zucchini, whatever, it's just like flopping over the fork. It looks so realistic. And your mouth does water when you like I'm watering at, yeah. my, at the mouth. <laughs> watering, oh my God. Not I, even going to cut it. <laughs> I, I really like the food in this movie. I can tell. Mike, you didn't have any heartbreak moments, though. The, the beginning, again, I liked the first half of this movie. I okay. thought it was a fine kids movie. And especially when he gets separated, you know, when the ridiculousness with the old lady's house does happen and Remy gets separated from his family, he's trying like hell to keep up by paddling his own little lifeboat down in the sewer to get to his family. Yep. And he gets separated again because the old lady's got a shotgun on the bridge right. and is firing down. That was funny. But I, yeah, I know, felt for him. They might be caught between the two kind of narrative formulas. Absolutely they are. Absolutely. Finding Nemo is and Finding Dory both are just survival narratives. Mm -hmm. They're just man against, or, you know, fish against the wilderness. And it's the stakes are ultimately super duper high at all times. Very primal narratives. That's why I likened them to action and horror yeah. stories. Because that's what they are. Yeah, they fairy are. tales. Right. And on the other hand, when you have the anthropomorphized animal characters, it's about class climbing, or what do they call it? Social climbing, yeah. in a way, like the fairy tales, the prince and the pauper. You know, the, the, a bug's life is like that. The bug that wants more, or the bug that wants to social cl socially climb to the next level. That's this movie is between those two. You have a crazy chase scene, but you also have a rat that just has a passion for cooking and needs to <laughs> solve that. It's got a great palate. <laughs> uh, I did have other things I did like about this movie, not necessarily heartwarming or heartbreak okay, moments. I, I like that much like a bug's life. I, I was able to. I thought they had a lot of similar beats in setting up the conflict because you have this. You have a hero, a protagonist that wants to, that means well and tries to do well. In mm -hmm. A Bug's Life, it was, you know, Flick getting that last bit of food up on the leaf that sure. he ends up knocking it over. In this one, Remy wants the saffron to help make a meal. and not so I like that those similar, they, mean, they have to mean to do well, and by trying so hard, they overdo something, they cause a catastrophe, they have to, it's a redemption story from there. Sure. I also liked how it differentiated from A Bug's Life, because in this one, Remy is, like I said, he's an arrogant prick at times. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's an artistic genius. Yeah, he's, and and he knows he's an artistic genius. That's yes. the thing. Like he he immediately sees Linguini for the first time and is like, "That guy can't fix soup. I have a great palate. I know what soup is supposed to look like. He can't possibly because be a cook." Because his schizophrenic vision. <laughs> 
told him to do this. Right. So I like that. I like that you gave this well-rounded protagonist, and you gave him kind of some characteristics that made him a little dicky. I didn't I mind that. I think they should have leaned into the fact that he knew he it was crazy, and he would just do crazy <laughs> shit the rest funny. of the movie. And he like, I know I'm a schizophrenic, but I also want to cook food at this level. That's kind of the issue overall. They didn't really lean into anything. They didn't decide to go one yeah. over like over the top with any one way. Because they know they got a lot of funny rat cook jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny every time you see the colony of rats being discovered by a human. <laughs> it's very funny. When it falls from the ceiling and the old lady <laughs> yeah. discovers it. When the freaking food critic walks into the kitchen. <laughs> And all the rats are preparing the food. Oh, my God. It killed me. And then, yeah, I mean, it just really works. And then the freaking rat restaurant at the end. That's ridiculous. Absurd. Absolutely (laughs) absurd. One rat, one fat rat is just flexing a giant (laughs) bicep. That whole scene, I noticed it the second time. He's got this ridiculously fat bicep. He's just flexing it. I think he was the big, you know, uh, Italian Goomba rat that was trying to, you know, get Remy to give him the food during the middle, which was another subplot that was too many. Yeah, Yeah, there there was way too many. There were good good one-offs. Do you have any other highlights? Yeah, I got a few. I mean, I liked all of the Skinner stuff. I thought Skinner was the most like rational character in the in the movie. Ian Holm did a wonderful another, job. There was like a billion subplots they could have. Yeah, I mean, that just I, gets wiped away. I'm kind of rooting for Skinner here. Like <laughs> he loses his livelihood. <laughs> this restaurant was on its ass. Skinner yeah. kept it afloat. Yeah, I mean, he, he's got some poor ideals, mm-hmm. just selling us Americans, you know, these very simple dishes. But we'll eat them. So that's his fine. big revenge plot is to steal a rat to help him make new frozen meals. Right. <laughs> Which is, which is also like a you know a feather in his cap. He's not going to kill the rat. He's going to employ the rat. The I have same to rebuild way. my empire. But what's the difference between him and the other guy? What's the difference between him and Linguini? Right. Linguini learns nothing. No, he nobody learns, learns anything. Linguini <laughs> learns that all of his lies will get him the girl, right. get him a restaurant, and also get the rat. We have to talk about. We have to talk about that for a second. Yeah. Too. I don't want to cut you off. So if you have any more likes, then we'll end on the uh, the ridiculous Colette storyline. So I love how Skinner realizes the rat is controlling the boy early on and he can't <laughs> confirm it. I like that he gets him drunk. Let us toast to your non-idiocy. And he's trying to like, you know, interrogate the kid. I really enjoyed that. that. I'm just a fan of that chase sequence. I just thought cinematically that chase sequence is believable. Yeah. Which is shocking after a movie that's just ridiculous. You actually have like a believable chase sequence. It's like a Mission Impossible chase sequence yeah. where the old man is able to jump certain levels <laughs> but then he can't finish the last jump and it's hysterical that he pulls the uh, what you would call tablecloth out from those people dining on the little boat there at the end. <laughs> just, that killed me. And he's, in the, and he's in the drink after that. That's just funny. So a lot of I mean look Mike this movie is enjoyable in the sense that there's a lot of jokes. There's goods if you have it on in the background, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you sit and watch it and it's the only thing you're paying attention to, it'll drive you fucking insane. Alright, I got a few more little tiny bests left. Mm-hmm. But, so, but, but before we get there, let, let's get the Colette stuff down. So date rape happened. <laughs> it was rat caused. <laughs> oh. Sorry, Your Honor. <laughs> Is that your verdict? <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It's not good. That was it's just really weird, really offbeat. Really weird. I, and it's I, not like they don't realize what they're doing because she has a can of mace. Right! And his eyes. And it's like, her whole justification in the first place for saving his ass from Skinner the first time was like, oh, because I liked you. Which is like, could you have any less depth to your lone female hero here? Right. Because she was introduced to who would be the second in command or the protagonist, however you view this movie. She was introduced to Linguini, and so she likes him because she saw him? That's the interaction they had. Yeah, she also beats the shit out of him throughout the movie. He slapping, she slaps the shit out of him throughout the as, movie. As she was training him, yeah. yeah. Right. But that, There's a lot of wrongs in this movie yeah. just based on it. That relationship is is poisonous. It <laughs> really toxic. is. Like, it's built on a lie. It's built, it's built on an absolute lie that they continue... Like, how does he redeem himself in her eyes? No, but Mike, no character has a redemptive arc in this story. Like, where does he... They start doing a redemptive up? arc with Remy and they abandon it. The only reason she would stay with him from then on is because he owns a successful restaurant. Yeah, and I thought maybe that would be the rub at the end of it. Like, Weenie would walk away and hand her the restaurant because she obviously knows what she's doing. No, none of that happens. That would have been the smart move because she can actually run the (laughs) gosh darn restaurant. Right. 
But then again, all right, fine. You got the rat to run the restaurant. The rat that imposes a man's will forces him onto her. You know at the mo- at the halfway. What point. age the rat is in human years? A forty-year-old white guy. Probably, Fits. probably, uh, right? I had, yeah, yeah, probably. I had such a problem with that. Scene. I think it's gross. I don't know how Doesn't stuff work. like that gets past the fucking Disney censors. You yeah. know? No, it's a boys' club. Yeah. A boys' club full of forty-year-old yeah. white guys making this movie that basically just make themselves the heroes in different ways. Yeah, good way to go out on a limb, guys. <laughs> really going against type there. All right, let's finish up on some happy notes. What else? One more worst. Why doesn't Skinner destroy the letter immediately? From Renata Linguini on her deathbed. (laughs) Like, that pink letter becomes the thing that gets him ousted. He reads it and then calls his lawyer immediately. Like, why doesn't he burn that immediately? Which is why, again, I don't think he's that bad of a guy. Maybe he couldn't do it in front of the lawyer. Because the lawyer was one of those really high ethics lawyers that would have had to report it. But before he calls the lawyer, he could burn it. Oh, this is the lone evidence that will get me ousted. (laughs) This little pink letter from this person saying that they're you know related yeah that's a good gripe i don't know (laughs) any other villain would have just all right easy wow that's the easiest yeah way to get rid of the uh protagonism ever (laughs) throw it in the fire maybe he needed it as blackmail if he wanted to fire linguini i don't know that's a good point i don't know there's no reason there's no downside yeah there's no no downside to any so if they have another letter then so what all right fine they have another letter but yeah. there's still no downside to burning that letter. That actually would have been better for dramatic purposes if they found out the attorney kept a copy after he burned it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, that sucked. So that was bad. <laughs> Look, I love that Remy is like feeling himself towards the end of this movie. And everything's going his way. And at one point, he's walking down the street, walking on two legs, points to a guy on the bike and goes, hey, yeah. And then the guy does double take and drives into a parked car. All of the groceries, the baguettes go all over the place. That made me laugh really hard. Remy trying to control Sleepy Linguini, if if not another Cosby reference. It was funny right then and there because it's the weekend of Bernie's. Like, I would have liked... Linguini dead. Linguini <laughs> should have been killed by the rats colony, and I'd like I would like this movie to be. That rated starts on. the fight. That yeah. starts the fight between him and Colette because he's weekend at Bernieing. Yeah, he's yeah. weekend at Bernieing Linguini. Yeah, which is the most ridiculous <laughs> it's a great sentence. Name. <laughs> that might be the name title of this uh, title of this episode. <laughs> this should have been more weekend at Bernie's. This should have been anything ridiculous. Anything. It should have been a chef who has a heart attack, an innocent heart attack <laughs> that the rat controls from. I don't yeah. know. Or just, that would have been great. I don't know. And then Skinner at the end. All the rats Skinner still it. has the letter that says that that dead chef is the son and the rightful heir, but the movie ends with him being, oh, but he's dead. Skinner, you, this is your restaurant. You <laughs> still win. your restaurant. You were right all along. You're Mr. the Spinner. real protagonist. <laughs> no, this this movie doesn't work exactly, but... It, we have not had this many complaints about other Pixar movies. Is that fair yeah. to say? And I, I share in your complaints. Yeah. I really do. I, I don't... I was when you told me you didn't love this movie. I was like, ah, oh, kind of. I could see that yeah. now. I it's just not. It just I, pick a direction. And and Pixar has done this. Brad Bird, for Christ's sake, is notorious for doing this. Right. You know, he he takes a theme of a movie, whether it's a Pixar movie, a Mission Impossible movie, and he leans into it full force. Well, you know, just think about the Incredibles. Right. I mean, how you know, direct that was, and how they nailed it. Now, maybe you the arguments there that this was. A guy that needed to save a company, based for the most part. You know, he this was him doing them a favor, and right. he knew he, make it a crowd the time. Yeah, exactly. Just get something out there and have it be profitable. Right. And he did. And I mean, Christ, we're in the minority about complaining about this because well, it's got I, super high marks. I still give it high marks myself in yeah. the sense that it, it's it's good. It would get a fresh rating from me because visually, it's like nothing I've ever seen. I mean, it's just unmatched. so you put it. It's above a seventy-five in your tomato meter there. Oh yeah. It's oh no. Th- th- if I give this a grade, I'm giving it a B grade because. The highs are so high. The jokes are funny. They really make me laugh. The one scene with the Peter O'Toole critic is great, and it made me tear up. I will be honest with you. Didn't work on you because nah. you're in your angry mode. I was so beyond this movie. I, it, it got to me twice. I watched this movie twice. It got to me twice recently. And then some of the jokes are really good. I don't know. I'd be. It'd be close. It'd be a close call for me as to whether or not this is a... A fresher, and I don't know. I, I'd have to go back and think because there is com- there's high comedy in this, but it's for me, it's just a mess in that latter half of Act Two. To it act is three. a bit of a mess. 
Uh, guys, we want to know your thoughts, certainly, on this, and, and let us know, was Ratatouille something you grew up with? And if so, if, if not, have you seen it in a while? Is this your first time seeing it? We want to know your thoughts about it either way. You can get at us. Leave us your comments, questions, concerns. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we're available everywhere you hear podcasts. You can't see podcasts. You can hear them on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, etc., etc. Uh, Mike, what do we have coming up in the pipeline here? So we're going to be on live stream for The Cure. Yes. This is hosted by the Epic Film Guys. This is a... We have plans to be on live stream for The Cure because Mike and I are not very technological so- technologically sound. Yeah, we got to get make sure we can <laughs> be on there. <laughs> are we going to look like asses? <laughs> the cancer benefit <laughs> with all the podcasts. Be a black screen with hearing our audio of us <laughs> screaming at each other. <laughs> that would be bad. Yes, we're trying to make sure we're, we're ready for this Saturday. Last time I mentioned it was Friday. It is this Saturday, May Fingers 18th. Fingers crossed. Yeah. 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you can join us, that would really be fun. If you can donate a few bucks, yeah. whether before or after or at any time, uh, it's, it's all over our Twitter feed. Go to Epic Film Guys uh, and note it's all over their feed. Donate a few bucks if you can. They're trying to raise 7500 bucks, and I think they're you know they're already a couple hundred bucks in, so we're getting there. It's and, great causing, uh, and, and great people attached to it, too. A lot of cool pods. Yeah. Epic Film Guys is a great pod as well. We're friends I mean, they're of giving there, you, so. like, you know, three days of free entertainment to try and raise money for charity yeah. so it's it's a really good cause it's like a pbs it. telethon but watchable yeah and good better yeah. I mean, <laughs> hosts that it's just cool and have yeah, that's really it. are really popular and have great lives <laughs> great lives uh mike any words of wisdom to i'm end hungry on here? Uh, <laughs> uh, look i mean the the critic i want to quote the critic anton ego at the end of this because he, he goes through all the cool critic with a great life <laughs> <laughs> he goes through all the bitter truths of being a critic right we risk very little and this is the downside blah 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 and then he says but there are times when a critic truly risks something and that is in the discovery and defense of the new the world is often unkind to new talent, new creations, the new needs friends. And that's, you know, it's definitely something we've tried to do yeah. with our, uh, you know, MMO interviews. You know, we've, we're have we interviewing a lot of up-and-coming rising talents. And uh, a bunch of different types of shows as well that we keep trying to come up with. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're trying to, you know, be on the cutting edge of all the uh, formats that we're doing. We try. Sometimes <laughs> they hit, sometimes... They don't. Of course, the end of that speech also goes, I'm going to go eat a meal prepared by a rat now. I'm going to go buy some cheese. (laughs) Guys, when reality sucks, uh, you can buy some cheese with us. We'll check you out next time. See ya. (laughs)